Welcome to our podcast, We're Not So Different. I'm Samira. And I'm Ali. We're two professionals having real conversations about our experiences at home, work, and out in the community. We tell our stories through the lens of our different backgrounds to just find out that we're not so different. In our podcast, we'll explore ways that we can improve engagement and bridge social gaps while trying to find the humor in it all. Check us out on social media at WNSDifferent or email us at WNSDifferent at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for joining another episode of the We're Not So Different podcast. I'm Samira, here with my co-host, Ali. And today we have a very special guest, Alan Marling, Bay Area activist and artist, who's going to share with us a little bit about the work that he's doing and the importance of being engaged and active. Hey, Alan, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Samira and Ali. Uh, yeah, I, I'm happy to be here. Uh, uh, specifically, the type of activism I do is projection activism. That's where you shine light on buildings. And it's exciting in that you can paint a mural in light, something which can be relevant to the day, perhaps even to the hour, based on what's going on during that time in that moment. And I find the best results happen when I'm projecting something that people are thinking about and maybe it's not sitting well on them or it's something they haven't said aloud yet. And the projection mm -hmm. resonates with them and they identify with it and on a fundamental level realize they're not alone in thinking that. Um, and to them, it could make a significant difference. Uh, I started this projection activism um, around January or March or maybe February of 2017 after the election and uh, after the inauguration. And after Donald Trump's tweets became more and more prominent, shall we say, mm -hmm. And specifically, I wanted a way to protest Twitter for being complacent in amplifying his tweets um, in defiance of their own policies, which supposedly were to um, not allow hate speech, not allow instigation of violence, et cetera, et cetera. And so I wanted to call out this apparent hypocrisy, and I wanted to do it in a nonviolent, effective manner. And I found that projecting on their building simple messages, um, calling out this hypocrisy was an effective way to do it. And at one point it did get national attention after, I, I believe it was after Donald Trump threatened something close to a nuclear strike against North Korea on via Twitter. I projected uh, Jack being Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter is complicit with this increasing danger of Twitter policies. And there was quite the outcry. This image of this projection went viral. And uh, as a result, Twitter had to change its official policy instead of just giving an unspoken exception to Donald Trump. They created a written exception for him saying that he could break the rules essentially because his tweets were noteworthy. So... Uh, did create a reaction in, in Twitter. Certainly not the one I wanted. I would prefer, <laughs> I would prefer not to be put in danger, and not for United States citizens to be put in danger, and most recently not for our democracy itself to be endangered 
by a private company which has every right to stop amplifying Trump's tweets. But unfortunately, that did not happen then. But mm-hmm. um, I certainly, I've returned to Twitter many times to continue to call them out on this and other abuse that they allow on their platform. Um, and I likely will continue to do so. Uh, since then, I have found that projection works even better at other locations. Whereas at Twitter, you project a simple phrase, just text is all that fits in the building. At other locations, um, specifically in some of the broad wall areas of Oakland, you can project entire murals of light, uh, very artistic. You can find the art that artists across the internet have been posting and creating based on whatever moment we're living through. And then you can shine that at a location. You can use it to amplify a rally, which is already there. You can allow people to see it. And again, this is something that is uh, hopefully, if I do a good job, which is not always the case, but hopefully it's something that people are thinking of right then. And again, they might not have had the words to quite uh, voice it yet. Right, right. So that's very interesting. And I have two questions, but let me start with this one. Let me go back for a second for the the mechanical engineers or the nerds mm-hmm. um, without having to give away your secret sauce because i'm trying to envision in my head how you actually project a mural on a wall i'm you know when i think about projectors i'm not necessarily too old for the modern day projector but i still remember the classroom projectors where you had the big box on the bottom and then the mirror and mm-hmm. the light on the top and you slid. So I know, I know I really dated myself, but you know, I to be really fair, I, that is Stone what age. I, yeah. When I was going through school, now I'm dating myself a little bit <laughs> in my high school. That's also what we had, or maybe it was just that one salty chemistry who refused to upgrade decades past the the natural use of this sort of projector but no he would um he would actually have a transparent slide on it and he would write on it so it's like was like writing on a chalkboard yeah yeah exactly 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 it's certainly in college i was more used to other sort of projector where (laughs) you have digital images uh powerpoints uh projecting onto a screen and that's very similar well if that's not something you can imagine intuitively it is just like a plastic box (laughs) and light shines out of that um and it's about the size of a playstation or something like that nice okay okay so it's it's okay that's pretty cool because i've seen the little mini projectors you know like you can you know you're at home now they have the technology so refined you can plug it up to your phone and have like a little mini projector at home but I figure if you were doing buildings, it might have to be something a little bit bigger than that. Yeah, there. well, there is quite the range. There's even, one of the first things I saw actually was a handheld projector. Someone had brought it to one of the marches after or shortly before Trump was elected. And he's shown it on the side of a truck. So it was just a projector. Again, he attached it to his phone, which uh, he could hold in his hand. And it had the projection power to shine up you know, a few feet away, like five feet away on the side of a truck. That's the first time I saw it. And I did want to mention that a lot of people were, before Trump was elected, I was, I was politically active occasionally. I project, uh, protested the Iraq war and I would stand up for some things. That was always important to me on some level, but also I'm a very 
privileged person. I uh, doubtless was unaware of a lot of the injustices going on in the United States. Um, Trump certainly brought those pre-existing injustices to a head and gave them a, uh, gave them a voice, really. Um, and so once he was elected, I joined many people on the streets of San Francisco and uh, the Bay Area in general. And I found that um, during this uh, waking nightmare that was really the election of Trump and has continued thereafter, found some solidarity and peace with other people on the street asserting our rights as human beings. I also realized when I was out in the streets that not only were we, mar we were marching through the, through the mission, for instance, uh, but I looked up and I saw in the window uh, young people looking down at us and seeing hope in their eyes and happiness in their eyes. I, yeah. although that Trump, a great feeling. Although Trump was recently elected and back then, even though people understood how, what a danger this was to often to them, their own personal livelihoods, um, them seeing us on the streets protesting uh, did give them did give them a moment of happiness, a moment of hope. And for much of the same reasons, people seeing projections on the street can give them a moment of happiness, a moment of hope. And that in turn can inspire them to take more action themselves. Um, I think I was meant to go <laughs> wend around back to our train of thought. Well, what you had asked about the projector and what it looks like. What I was going to say earlier is there's a broad range of projection equipment I won't go into the details here. Um, if you do want to know more about it, specifically to do your own projection work, you can talk, contact, I'll give my contact information after the podcast. But uh, it ranges to what I use to something even more powerful, which can project basically to the top of the skyscrapers. And you can see an example of that in the uh, documentary Chasing Extinction, which is about... 60 minutes of not in projection stuff. And then you can, if you skip to the end, you can get to the action uh, where they actually build a projection unit into this car and drive around with this insanely powerful spotlight of a projector in China, as I said, at the top, to the top of buildings. Oh, wow. So uh, they have an entire, like, this is like tens of thousands of dollars of projection equipment driving around this car. Certainly <laughs> not what I use. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it sounds good. And, and I love the backstory. And speaking of the, the backstory there, you mentioned that you had done things in the past, like protest the, protest the uh, Iraq war. What was it about the Trump election specifically that kind of spurred you into maybe more of a stasis of activism, if you will, where you seem to be constantly involved. Um, was there something, was there a specific thing or a specific moment or specific thing about him specifically? And then after that was the continuation of that, not just with Twitter, but actually around more, more social issues. As I said, he was a very prominent visual representation of a lot of the things which had been bubbling up and always in the United States. Um, a few years prior to his election, I went to a rally in DC called the, uh, I guess it was the Tone It Down rally, uh, featuring Jon Stewart and uh, Stephen Colbert. Okay. Uh, and their messages, look, we're getting a little bit too polarized. And they were really calling out Fox News at the time. Like yeah. this, you're getting a little hyperbolic. Things are getting too aggressive here. And I, I did believe that, that's why I went there. 
Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> since then, uh, like 100, uh, many thousand people showed up to that rally, more than to Trump's inauguration, certainly. Uh, <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> we continued along that same path and things have gotten more and more polarized, more yeah. and more, well, again, it's possible they were always like that and I just wasn't aware. But anyways, uh, Trump certainly exemplifies the kind of upswing of visibility of white supremacy in the United States and how it's used Silicon Valley and social media platforms such as YouTube and Twitter and Facebook to propagate this white supremacist ideology. And I think it's been especially rampant as our economic situation of the average American has fallen over the last few decades. And people are looking to hold on to something and it's, it's certainly a complex situation, but as is often the case, instead of actually giving the people something that they can use, something that they can live a good life with, it's cheaper just to give people racism. And so Fox yeah. News and others have used this tool to secure power and maintain power rather than giving anything material, well, other than this hatred. So uh, Trump certainly exemplified this. And people nowadays, I think it's, it, well, he's currently trying to steal the election and the white supremacy is, yeah, has become increasingly obvious. But even before the election, even before he was elected, it was pretty obvious. I knew what was happening, that this was a, someone who not only was a white supremacist, but also someone who did not believe in democracy, did not believe in the constitution, did not really believe in any of the ideals that our country aspired to. And I did want to share another little anecdote. At one of these many rallies, which I attended initially, I said to someone that Trump is highly un-American. And when I said that, I meant that he doesn't believe in the constitution, he doesn't believe in the rule of law, and he doesn't believe in democracy. However, the other person said, actually, he's the most American president we've ever had. And what she meant, and she was a person of color, and she definitely, and she was definitely correct from her perspective in the sense that he's the most white supremacist. Uh, well, is certainly very white supremacist and very imperialistic, and she was absolutely correct as well. So, he Trump certainly did not. And again, this was very clear even from before the election. If anyone who tells you that they were surprised that he was a white supremacist did not <laughs> did not look too closely and anyone says they were surprised yeah is obviously indebted to russia uh, again did not look too closely that was again very obvious even before, before the election it became clear to me after the election that things needed to be done and i needed to up my democracy game i do believe that democracy isn't a spectator sport it is something that a democracy has to be maintained, not by the government, but by the people's participation. In fact, right. Benjamin Franklin, after, the, after they had drafted the Constitution, someone asked him, well, uh, Benjamin Franklin, sir, what sort of government have you made us? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. And what he meant was, you have now a democracy as long as you can keep it in the control of the people and yeah. not have the power consolidated to that of a king. Again, sure. the, the founding fathers did not want to be ruled over by a king. 
Unfortunately, that's exactly what Donald Trump aspires to be. So again, this was my mindset. Like we, I clearly need to step up my game of participating in democracy because clearly the fact that we've gotten where we are means that I have not been doing enough. Can, it, so, can you elaborate on that a little bit when you say I need to step up my game in, with the work in democracy? What, do you, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, that is a good question. Uh, and your prior, some of your prior guests spoke to what activism is and what it means to be active. And part of that is what we think of in terms of classic, what we call electoral work, which is like getting out the vote, talking to people about campaigns and such. But ideally, that's, that's not the most important thing or even maybe the main thing we should do. And the main thing we do is, uh, in terms of participating with democracy, is let people know what's happening. Now, mm, yeah. people in government would much prefer that they can control everything. No one would learn about it. And right. we just mind our own business and maybe, and then they could tell us why we should care what and why we should reelect them. But if the more we know about what's going on, the more we know about what they're doing, the better we can understand and make informed decisions during our elections, which is what democracy is all about. So for instance, um, just saying something that's true, just saying a true statement in a public place or even amongst friends or even to oneself can be an action that supports democracy. And specifically, if you say, um, well, this proposition is going to hurt laborers, for instance, you mm -hmm. can say that to yourself and then you might be more likely to act on it by voting against it. You can say it to a friend, they might be more likely to act on it by voting against it. Or you can say it in public, which might reach a larger audience. And all that sort of thing is upholding democracy. But even on a more fundamental level, if you're outside asserting the rights of people, of individuals, I mean, that was another big thing about our constitution. It was a declaration of independence, asserting the rights of individuals. And if you do that, if you, you assert, for instance, assert that Black Lives Matter in a public space, if you take to the streets doing that, then you are maintaining the sanctity of human beings in your democracy. And I, I, I view that in the same way. And these sorts of things together have to be supported. You have to uh, maintain, I, I like thinking of exercising your freedom of speech. I mean that, I like thinking about that more literally, just as you might exercise regularly to keep yourself in shape. You do need to exercise regularly to keep your democracy in state. In, yeah. in good physical working order. And if you don't do this over very uh, decades, we kind of lose faith in the electoral system. And that's by design. We have such a low voter turnout. It's largely because of voter suppression and a lot of people don't want the average person to vote. But, and again, if you maintain your democracy, if you have your uh, you exercise your freedom of speech, you can encourage people to participate on your democracy, not only in voting, but also between elections to hold your uh, representatives accountable to make sure that our rights are maintained. And uh, to be honest, I think that if I were to make a recommendation, now certainly I do a lot more activism than this, but I think the average person should try to do one hour of democracy support, democracy exercise a week. That mm -hmm. would mean calling if doing one phone bank a week or going on one march a week. And 
doing so would lead to a more healthy democracy, one where we, people have more rights, people have more incomes because the income gap between the rich and the poor wouldn't be so severe. And as people's lives improve, there'd be less tension, there'd be less susceptibility for people to fall radicalizing and become white supremacists uh, and people's livelihoods increase due to different policy changes then well also speaking of different policy changes we might not have as, as much orange ash in the skies as we're seeing in california because we could actually have politicians who care about the environment who prioritize the environment so we can do a lot of things and we will have to in order to increase our participation in democracy no, I like that message, and that and that's something that we've talked about before in past episodes. That we had specifically one about civic engagement, where we were talking about being active as far as learning, education, doing things at the local level, and to your point, just participating in democracy in general. Now, one thing that I'll I'll ask you is, you mentioned you know kind of you know going being more active you know once Trump got elected. My question would be this, and this coincides with what the woman of color told you when you made the comment that he's un-American and she said, well, he is very American, right? Mm -hmm. There is a tendency for us when things are quote unquote normal, right? We, because before, before Trump, people thought the wildest president, you know, in recent times was George Bush, right? So, in, and, and when Trump got in the office, it made George Bush look, look you know, normal, regular, yeah. right? Mundane even. So my question would be, when we step out of the outliers like a Trump and we get back into more of your standard white guy president, if you will, right, of a certain age, how do you encourage people or how do people continue to, re to remain engaged, right? We've seen a lot of people get more engaged because of Trump, but there are still things that need to be done at regular policy levels. Um, and local, federal, and all that, even with your your standard, you know, cut and box president, if you will. I think that brings up a good point. Just I want to add to it because if we want to tie back in the whole white supremacy conversation, and you know, where does that come from? Uh, you know, the belief of you know Trump being white supremacist because there's a lot of argument between people saying, oh, he's not a white supremacist when it's kind of like, okay, well, let's look at what does that look like for people, right? Everyone wants to look at it differently. Passive white supremacists versus active versus just write out KKK, neo-Nazi and, and whatnot. Well, um, he, yeah, okay. I'd, I'd be happy to speak more to that. Okay, no, good. I'd love yeah. to hear it. No, because I, I know I, I, I'm more on the alignment of if you're not going to speak out against it, you're, that you're complicit with it. That's my perspective. It's black or white for me. No, he is definitely a white supremacist and he's always has been uh that's how he first came to prominence when he called out obama and claimed that he was not u.s citizen this whole birther movement mm -hmm. was a an incredibly huge dog whistle donald trump continues to tweet dog whistles basically he has for years years now and years before he's elected and that's one of the things that i called twitter out on twitter is mm -hmm. really nothing more at this point than trump's dog whistle and uh Something I've shown directly on their building. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I'm glad you're saying that because I think a lot of people, when we say white supremacists, they're waiting for the white hoods to come out and it has, or shaved heads, and it has to look a specific way. When well, in reality, that's not true. And even when we talk about 
you know, our constitution declaration of independence, we have to really understand that the intent was, or the words say we, the people, but who was actually considered a human, a person of, you know, eligible to vote, eligible to be uh, included in those conversations and, you know, eligible to be active who was considered a person back then. And that's kind of where we're talking about when we say that being American or when people, other people also say when being American is being a white supremacist, that's, that's yeah. a big part of where that connection comes from is that, you know, this is basically in our roots mm-hmm. from the very foundation of, you know, even the genocide of natives and all yeah. of those things. So when we say that, it shows up in more ways than just wearing a hood and having tattoos of swastikas and things like that. Um, so I just wanted us to, to expound on that a little bit. Yeah, you're, that's exactly true. And that's why that woman was correct when she said in, um, when she said that Donald Trump was the most American president we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly the initial founding fathers probably weren't thinking of uh, black women of color voting in their elections, right. just like the Greeks. Or even women voting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just like the Greeks weren't considering poor landholders voting right. either. One, so, But we're expanding what it means to be a democracy. We're asserting more human rights. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even yeah. expanding what it means to be an American. We need, mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, Ali and I have talked about this in the past where for me, I feel like this is our chance to really be the American's the, be the narrative that we've always been propagating of what it means to actually be American and like really re-own what that means and change it. And it takes all of us to do that. And that takes a lot of work because the yeah. natural tendency is to continue consolidating power and consider, continue consolidating money. And both those things have been happening too much really in this country. So I, in order, we've seen increased voter turnout. We've seen increased uh, action these past four years, and that's led to some res- significant results, and even more once uh, if we do our jobs and uh, we actually do flip the Senate. Mm-hmm. But to answer your prior question, how can we maintain that? Well, uh, that will take some work, but I think it's work that we're committed to doing. Uh, for instance, David Hogg, who is one of the activists in March for Our Lives, said uh, it does say something about a president where multiple movements, grassroots movements, start in opposition to you. So mm-hmm. he and uh, the other movement, to my mind, that I was thinking of is the Sunrise Movement. And that movement will increase. And we're going to, uh, I'm an active participant of the Sunrise Movement. I think they do great work. And they're going to continue to fight for, um, for their future and even their present, again, as ash falls from the skies of California. Uh, Climate change is a real threat and we want to focus on positive differences we can make in our society rather than just overcoming opposition. We really want to bring people together in a united, greater vision for a society which works for for everyone and a society which takes care of everyone and treats everyone with dignity. One of the tenets, core tenets behind Sunrise, the Sunrise Movement, is that we need to create a new national consciousness. For decades, uh, regardless of who's been president or who's been in power, we've been in a scarcity consciousness or one a consciousness which has been kind of inspired by Reagan, perhaps, where there really isn't enough for everyone. 
small government is the best government. And in order to create jobs, the best thing to do is to give money to huge corporations and, to, <laughs> and more, more money to the rich and powerful. And that's what we've seen even most recently. And the, one of the few stimulus packages we got, the rich got a million dollars for some reason. Huge, we've seen huge tax breaks. So we're very much still in that mindset. And that's the same mindset which says we can't have uh, single payer healthcare, or we can't have good schools, we can't have a good environment either. So we do need to change that mindset and say, no, we're the wealthiest nation in the world. We can have the same healthcare or better that every other nation, developed nation has. We can have, we can have um, good public transportation. We can have clean air and clean skies. We can have green energy. And uh, the science is there, the technology is there. We just need the political will to reach out and achieve it. And once we do that, we can get more union jobs and our standard of living can increase. And again, as it increases standard of living, uh, then the crime would also go down and we'd have less, there'd be less call for police, uh, whether or not you think that they do any good at all. Certainly increasing policing is just one aspect of a one way you can try to address increasing crime, increasing standard of living, increasing community uh, support is a better one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think you brought up some excellent points there. And, you know, one is this narrative that we're always told that America is the greatest country in the world, the richest country in the world. And then ironically, when you start mm-hmm. saying, well, how about we make education free and healthcare free? It's like, well, we can't afford it. Yeah, <laughs> the you know country I mean? which like is spending. It's, yeah, it, it's just it's just really, really, it's really, really funny. And it's really interesting. And it just goes, you know, it goes to the underscoring of what capital capitalism really means. And, you know, what you were saying, what that infers is simply that, you know, we can't provide everyone with everything. If the top richest people in the world want to stay you know, that's the difference between being a billionaire and I guess a multimillionaire, right? Yeah. Like they, like it's, it's all about the status piece. Like, oh, I, I mean, I know I can't spend the money I have in four lifetimes, but I have no desire to accept higher taxes. I mean, even just taxing corporations more would do in invaluable, uh, invaluable, being an invaluable asset from a financial sense to the government. When we talk about government programs, yeah. when we talk about education, we talk about healthcare for all. When we talk about all these sorts of things, it's, it, you know, even it, it just reminds me, and I'm going to stop rambling, the, the piece where they were talking about, well, we need to give subsidies to the oil and gas industry in the middle of that, that oil fiasco. Where they, I'm like, well, I thought this was hard times, but they were still making record-breaking profits. And that's something yeah. I just never understood. Like, if I struggled on my job for some reason, and, you know, the job went under and we had to take pay cuts and they fired half the staff, how am I making more money? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if my company went bankrupt and fired half the people, how would I be making more money if yeah. we were really going through a tough time? So it's those sorts of things that I think people hear a story, but they don't make the connection between that and the overall, I'm just going to call it what it is, the overall game. Yeah, it really is true that currently we're very close to being a plutocracy rather than a democracy. And uh, Citizens United allowed country uh, companies and the rich get a huge influence over elections. And it's going to be tough. And we're going to have to continue 
uh, fighting pretty hard to overcome that until we have uh, more institutional change in place to actually uh, to re-empower our people. Well, overturning Citizens United would be a start, but uh, I, I do want to reinforce that the United States was not always like this. Uh, around the time of LBJ, the uh, corporate tax rate was around 70%. Our goals were different. Uh, the economy looked very different. This is the time when you people talk about that the boomers worked at a gas station, saved enough money to buy a house and have a family. Things used to be quite different and we've gotten pretty far away from that. And currently the system we are in is really a socialism for the rich and powerful, where we see all these tax breaks for corporations and uh, just the worst of conditions for those who don't have that power or that, those, that generational wealth. And it doesn't have to be like that. And, and visualizing a better future is one of the roles of art and one of the things that I am try to achieve as a projection artist, or that's if I'm feeling fancy, but a projection activist fundamentally. And just asserting that different possibility is a form of activism that we can take. Visualizing that change is one of the big issues. When um, AOC was on her recent delightful Twitch live stream. She said that just the lack of our ability to imagine a different present is really what's holding us back from things like healthcare for all. And again, it's healthcare for all isn't going to hurt us economically. It would like us save us money. Fewer people would go bankrupt, fewer people would die, and, and which is a blow to our economy. Uh, and Progressing along this path is just a different path that we have to visualize. That's, that's really the job of an activist. activist. And then to uh, pressure on the streets until we achieve that. So wave we've realized in the past, things have been different in the United States and they can be different again with, as long as everyone pitches in a little bit of work. And as I said, it's probably not much. It's probably close to like an hour a week. Um, yeah. And we can, list, we can listen to this podcast for an hour a week, and then we can take an hour a week of action. Right. And I do encourage everyone to consider that. And there are certainly many ways you can take that action. Uh, and you should really find the best way for you. I, as it turns out, uh, it just really seems like not too many people across the country are doing projections. So I leaned really hard into that. Uh, but you can find your own way to resist and a way which makes the most sense to you. Yeah, I, I like I like how you talked about that, especially the return to times past. I mean, you know, I think that there are sometimes depending on where you sit when people say, you know, you know, I, I, I'm hoping for, you know, simpler times or when things were simpler, it depends on exactly where you are in the country, That's what true. you look like. How, however, however, you bring up an excellent, excellent point. We do see after Reagan specifically how the tax structure changed significantly, right? And we do see how you mentioned after LBJ, like what that era was like from a, can I go to work, earn a living doing a modest job and mm -hmm. still be able to take care of my family because America touts itself as a place that supports family and family values. But, but you know, for the past, for the past decade or so, two decades, there's all this fight about a livable age, right? You can't even pay people a decent amount. And I'm not even going to talk about the Bay Area is just a scandalous place to even mm -hmm. live and think about having a modest job. I mean, even, even high paying quote unquote jobs 
will make, you know, pe people move to the, royalty moves to the Bay Area and they look like paupers, right? So <laughs> the idea of, of paying people to be able to survive in a country that says that it's about the quote unquote American family, I think that's an excellent point and an excellent thing to think about and recall back in those days, right, where people went to work, worked a nine to five, came home, could put food on the table, have a vehicle, have a home. And depending on where you live now, it's an impossibility to do that at anything even remotely close to minimum wage, even a California standard of a minimum wage. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to be done, but um, again, all that's required is everyone do a little bit and together yeah. we, can, we can achieve that. We can save the environment, we can save our economy um, and we can save our country. So thank you so much for having me today. No, it, it, was our, it was our pleasure, Alan. It's, it's been wonderful to talk to you. I love the way that you're leaning into something that, as you mentioned, you don't see being done, but it's still a very, very powerful thing for people to see it and to be in the street or at a protest and see your work up on the wall. And just like you said, it's planting a bunch of little seeds, right? And mm -hmm. having people hopefully water that seed and have that continue to grow. So with that, where, let us know where can our listeners reach you? Where can they find you? Where, sh where, should they, where should they look? Yeah, the best place in terms of, given that I'm doing projection activism and which is mainly picture related, the best place to find me is Instagram at A-E Marling. And I'm sure that will be spelled out in the show notes. You can also find me in Twitter, uh, but that's a more mixed capacity. So you'll see my other interests as well. The primary folk, the most focused way to find me is on Instagram. Uh, Alan, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. We love the work. We love the education. We love the knowledge. We love you planting that seed. Um, and we will allow, we will make sure that we water the seeds that you planted for us and share that with other folks to start, to start their own democratic garden, if you will. Uh, thank you. May that garden bloom. Thank you, Ali. And thank you, Samira. Thank All right. You. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of We're Not So Different Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, share, and review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on social media by looking up the handle at WNS Different or We're Not So Different on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can also join us live on Instagram or check out our previous live episodes on IGTV by following us at WNS Different. If you have comments, questions, or thoughts, feel free to email us at WNSDifferent at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.